Howdy everybody, Dr. Andy Woods here. I'm the pastor teacher here at Sugarland Bible Church. Normally I'm with my uh, good friend, associate pastor, fellow elder, Dr. Jim McGowan, but today we have a special uh, guest. Um, I'm with uh, Dr. Randall Price. More on him in just a second, but this is Pastor's Point of View, number 284. Today is January the 12th, 2024, and I think most people recognize that since October the 7th of last year, uh, with Hamas coming from Gaza attacking Israel, uh, the, the world has changed, and Israel is now the focus of the conversation. And some of the conversation is good, some of it comes from a framework that uh, is not necessarily rooted and grounded in God's word. And so we're trying to bring some biblical and historical archeological light to the whole uh, controversy. So to help me do this, I'm with my, my good friend, Dr. Randall Price, who really is a true expert in the Middle East and Israel, just a little bit from his bio. Um, he is the founder of a ministry called World of the Bible Ministry. He, he was a distinguished research professor of biblical and Judaic studies at Liberty University from 2007 to 2022. And just a little history on him. After finishing Dallas Theological Seminary, he studied at Hebrew University in Jerusalem, uh, diving deep into the historical political, geographical context around the Bible. He then spent 20 years involved with archaeological excavations in Israel and Turkey. And according to his website, uh, thus far, Randall has traveled to Israel 110 times. I've actually been on one of his Israel trips, which I highly recommend to you. Um, most of these trips, he's leading uh, Israel tours, archaeological digs for his ministry entitled World of the Bible Ministries. And so he's going to kind of here today to help us uh, separate fact from fiction related to tension related to Israel in the Middle East and how it fits into God's uh, plan for the, for the end of the age. I've actually prepared, I don't know if we're going to get through all of them, but about 13 or 14 specific questions to ask him. So, Dr. Price, welcome to the broadcast. Well, thank you, Annie. Let me just add one thing for the credibility of the topic we're talking about. <clears throat> I do have a PhD from the University of Texas in uh, Near Eastern Studies or Middle Eastern Studies. So just people more, feel more comfortable with that background than the one from Dallas Seminary. Yeah. Just wanted to add that. Sure. And that's important because <clears throat> we got a lot of these armchair archaeologists today, uh, people claiming to be archaeologists but presenting no <laughs> academic credentials. Mm -hmm. So what you're dealing with here with Dr. Price is not just uh, sensationalism. Uh, he's, the, he's the real McCoy. So with all of that being said, and by the way, I borrowed very liberally and generously with his per permission, by the way, of a slideshow presentation that he put together uh, during our current events night at our recent pre-trib meeting in Dallas, uh, December of last year. So if you're looking for his full slide presentation, we can only cover some of his slides 
Uh, you can ac- access those at the pre-trib website. Or World of the Bible. And World of the Bible. Uh, Worldofthebible.com. And the other website is pre-trib.org. So let's just jump right in here. First question, what is Zionism? Uh, it's kind of a compound question, as mm-hmm. we call in law, a compound question. <laughs> Objection, Your Honor, compound question. What is Zionism? Why do you consider yourself a Zionist? And uh, there's bi- biblical reasons and legal reasons to be a Zionist, so help us with that. Well, I think one of the things we're seeing today is a, even asking a question like that is a fallout in the local churches over a lack of understanding. First, biblically, because this is a biblical background for this. Uh, it's not just a political one or a social one. or even, um, <clears throat> Simply Zionism is anyone who believes that Zion is the homeland of the Jewish people. And Zion is a term that originated originally in the Bible as a place where David began his kingdom uh, there in Jerusalem. It, it grew by extension to a place to the northern part of the city with the Temple Mount and beyond that to the northern part of the city and then became kind of a, a figurative term for all of Israel uh, with the idea that Jerusalem is the central focus of everything uh, that is considered Israeli, everything in the Bible. The goals that fulfill their destiny in history all uh, conclude in Jerusalem. So Zion is the place where all Jewish people around the world had an ambition to return because ultimately that's the place where God will fulfill his call in their lives. So if you are uh, someone who believes that, that the homeland of the Jewish people is Zion, you're a Zionist. You could be a, a political Zionist, you could be a biblical Zionist, you could be a Christian Zionist, but uh, that's the correct term to use for that uh, belief. So, so you, you hold that position from God's word, um, we could go back to the Abrahamic covenant, uh, and you hold to that position legally uh, from the legal world. In other words, the Jews have a biblical and a legal right to be there, so they're not occupying anything. You can't occupy something that's yours. No, I mean, from the biblical perspective back in Genesis, the land was being prepared for a people. Mm-hmm. And God had a plan for that people, and then he had a purpose to carry out uh, to demonstrate to the whole world uh, his power uh, and his his purpose, and particularly the way he thinks, that is, uh, what you see reflected in the law about a holy and righteous God who is sovereign in control of his world and has a, a, a chosen people for a chosen place. And so from the very beginning, uh, this was communicated that uh, this would happen eventually after the time of Abraham, uh, they said 400 years uh, when the iniquity of the Amorites was full, mm-hmm. they, and which is a, a term for all of the Canaanite peoples, when that their iniquity had been full, giving them more responsibility and accountability for uh, being displaced. In other words, judged by the moral uh, governor of the universe. Um, you know, we have this statement: "Does not." The, the judge of all the earth do right. Mm-hmm. So he is doing this and he, he does it with the people who are not necessarily that much better, mm-hmm. um, but they do with Abraham coming out of a, a, a pagan a Mesopotamian context, a Gentile context, but he chooses Abraham and Abraham responds. And as a result, 
he makes promises unconditionally to Abraham that he will give him that land, and not only him, but his descendants after him forever. And that is the basis by which we can accept that uh, the Jewish people who have their uh, their source in Abraham uh, as their uh, titular head, you might mm-hmm. say, something like mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. Um, would, would have their claim. Yeah. Uh, not because they deserve it, not because they're better than anyone else, not because they're more than anyone else. The scripture later in Deuteronomy mm-hmm. says that. Mm-hmm. Uh, is because God chose them for that purpose. Okay. So that this issue of Zionism has become a real point of contention. I Here's something that was floating around social media I wanted to share. It says Israel doesn't occupy the land. They own it. Genesis 15, uh, verses 18 through 21. Well, let's go to number two here on our list. And the question is, are the Jews living in the land of Israel today the same as the Jews of the Bible? And the reason I'm asking that is you notice this particular tweet here uh, from Stu Peters. Um, He's tweeting or retweeting somebody else uh, who said, thus the country of Israel today is not to be confused with and has no connection to the the word Israel of the Bible. So there's a lot of people out there saying the Jews living in the land today is different than uh, the Jews living in the in uh, the Jews described in Scripture. And of course, yeah. there's a converse to that. Um, who are the Palestinians, and what is their claim to the land? Okay. Well, first, these objections are political and theological. Uh, they're political because. There's someone who favors a political uh, people and simply wants to accept their claim over those of others. Uh, But from a religious or theological point of view, we have what's called replacement theology. That's a viewpoint that says that because the Jewish people uh, failed to keep the law, failed to receive their Messiah, God judged them and he has replaced them with a better people, uh, people not of the flesh but of the spirit, that uh, that's the church that has taken the place of Israel. And that was always God's plan from the beginning, that there was a, a remnant within Israel. It was really the church, and they have now come to... The, so this Israel of the past uh, was rejected by God. It was a fossil civilization that would never fulfill its purpose. And so they moved on with the church... Uh, not having an ethnicity, but simply having a claim under the new covenant to being the people of God, together the people of God, whether Jew or Gentile. Uh, therefore, some of the, some churches like the Presbyterian Church USA and others have said, go back to the hymn books where we actually use the term Israel and take that out because that would confuse people into thinking that the Jews of today may be related to those Jews of the past and therefore mm-hmm. give them some biblical warrant uh, for having the land or being the people of God. Uh, let me just frankly say, I'll give you my conclusion up front. Uh, the Jewish people, uh, connection to the land uh, from ancient times is unique, it's unbroken, and it's consistent. Uh, when we look at the claims people have used in the past, they, they often brought up the Khazar myth. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a basically a multi-ethnic conglomerate of uh, people, Turkic people, primarily from the Caucasus, 
that somewhere in the past uh, were said to have converted in mass to Judaism. Um, first, that's not anything new. We've had claims from tribes in India or in Ethiopia or in China or other places that are considered lost tribes uh, that make those claims today. So the Khazars were not unique. Uh, but there really is no historical, uh, serious um, work done to legitimize them as having a connection uh, in the sense that the Jews of today trace their descent, European Jews, Ashkenazi Jews, to the Khazars. Um, what we do have, however, historically and factually, and this is probably the only point I need to make, but I'll make some more, is that there is an unbroken succession of Jewish uh, communities in Israel since the time of the Second Temple period. In other words, when we date the time of the Roman uh, destruction of Jerusalem and a large expulsion of Jewish people uh, in another exile, uh, people tend to say, well, that was the end of things. No, there were Jewish communities that continued in the land. Places like Jerusalem, Hebron, Tiberias, other places could not be abandoned. These were, these were holy cities. They felt duty-bound. Uh, we know that's the case because uh, not even a hundred years later, you had a second Jewish revolt that, that defeated the Romans for a period of three years called the Bar Kokhba Revolt. So you have enough Jews in the land to, mm -hmm. to overcome them. We have historical accounts, though, from that time on that the people living in these communities uh, had conversations or had um, all kinds of correspondence with the Jews in the diaspora, that is, Jews living outside the land. Uh, we, have, we have copies of that written correspondence. Uh, we have uh, Jews from outside the land going to join Jews inside the land. We have in the time of someone like uh, the Emperor uh, uh, Julian, was it Julian the Apostate? I'm sure I get the name right. Uh, in the in the fourth century, um, he is giving Jews the opportunity to rebuild the temple, mm. uh, which didn't happen because of an explosion of other issues. But you had Jews returning to the land to join these Jewish communities. That's all there. Uh, but we have this going on. That type of thing simply says, look, Jews were always there. They never left. Uh, so they are simply the descendants of the Jews that had always been there. Mm -hmm. uh, then you had communities in Egypt and communities uh, in, uh, let's say, Persia, things like this. But we also can look and we can see throughout the world clear linguistic and cultural a line of transition, which is completely unique among all the Jewish communities uh, in the world. I mean, they're sitting here, they had their synagogues all faced toward the east. They all had the same prayer books. They generally do the same prayers. Um, you know, and many other things like this, the customs, the cultures. Uh, when you talk about an unbroken 3,500-year tradition of the Passover, uh, at the end of it, they always say, next year in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a big deal. And they all are united in that. Uh, we have these, the, 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 let's put it this way, in modern times, we have the science of genetics. And you have these, uh, this, these different Jewish communities all around the world sharing the same common DNA. You have something called autosomal DNA, which 
it looks at the entire DNA uh, mixture. And when you do that, you find that these people have specific traits on a genetic level that unite them, wherever they may be. Uh, they've done specific tests also with the priestly line, those who claim to be uh, members of the Kohanim or Leviim. And they find that, you know, they have an aberration of the Y chromosome. Uh, and when they look at this, it's both in the Ashkenazi, the European Jews, the Sephardi, the, the uh, Middle Eastern Jews, which, and we know that split happened far back in the past. So if, it, if it, it's there, it must be before that time. That takes you all the way back, really, if, if we think of it, to the original progenitor of Aaron, the high priest. So you have, on a genetic level, this kind of evidence, uh, that linkage that goes there. Uh, we have another thing. Archaeologically, you, you look at uh, discoveries made in the land of Israel from the first temple period to the second temple period, and you see Hebrew. You see Paleo-Hebrew in the first temple period. You see uh, the Hebrew that's used today uh, in the second temple period. For instance, the Dead Sea Scrolls, all written in Hebrew. Mm -hmm. uh, all of this uh, is, is a language of the Jewish people. When we move forward a thousand years to the Bible being put together, what we call the Masoretic Text, it's made up of this, those Jewish Hebrew texts that were passed along okay, through the Jewish community from the ancient days, back before the, in the Second Temple period. And that, on an archaeological point of view, tells us the only people that ever used Hebrew were the Jewish people. Mm -hmm. You don't see Hebrew used anywhere else. Mm -hmm. You don't see records left like this. You don't see productions of the Bible uh, made by other people. You see people making translations, but you don't see them uh, handling Hebrew that way. And then we have the whole idea of Jerusalem. Uh, it's at the center of the hope of the Jewish people as far back as you can record it. Uh, they... they I mean, when they have their weddings, they smash uh, a goblet uh, to indicate the destruction of the temple, commemorating that. Uh, when they bury Jews anywhere in the world, they have to have a little bit of the dust of Jerusalem to put into the coffin. That's required. Uh, when Jews pray three times a day, they face toward Jerusalem. Uh, this is their goal. Uh, you don't see this in any other people. For instance, in the Quran, Jerusalem's not even mentioned, yeah. not even once. So this is, this is something that is unique to the Jewish people. Uh, it's time-tested. It's genetic. Uh, there's just no really serious uh, doubt that the people we call the Jewish people today are the Jewish people from time immemorial. Yeah, very good. All right. Well, let's go here to number three. And it has to do with oppression. Um, who is oppressing who exactly? And um, here's something from your PowerPoint that you gave at the pre-trib study group. And I, you're posing this just as a hypothetical. And this is... Well, it's what's said today. Yeah, it's these a, are the kinds of things a... people hear. The Palestinians have lived under Israeli occupation for 75 years. The Zionist occupiers stole their land and have kept the people of Gaza in poverty and prevented them from developing their city and lives, the Zionists have the power. I, I saw Cornell West, by the way, on Fox News, saying this as a guest on Fox News, using this argument. The Zionists have the power as they control the water and the electricity. 
When a people are deprived of freedom and oppressed every day, they have no choice but resistance, which is justified because of their victimization. So what I guess the mindset is what happened in Gaza is uh, related to Hamas coming into Israel. Terrorism October the 7th is justified because after all, Israel is oppressing Gaza. What say you? Well, let me let me parse what I put there. Um, Palestinians living in Israeli occupation for 75 years. 75 years is the time of the existence of the modern state of Israel. Uh, there were no Palestinians when the state of Israel began, uh, as we think of them today. In other words, when you talked about uh, before the state of Israel, you had Palestinian Jews and Palestinian Arabs, because anyone who lived in the place called Palestine took that identity. Uh, the Arabs, of course, claimed identity not as Palestinians, but with either their local tribe or whether it was Bedouin or something like this, or their ethnicity. They were either Egyptians or they were from, um, let's say, uh, Jordan, but it's probably a little after Jordan, but uh, or from primarily Lebanon or from uh, somewhere like Syria. Those are the pr primary. There's about a hundred different ethnicities that have been documented of the Arabs who came in to work under Jews returning to the land uh, before the state of Israel was created. And there was actually some sense of invitation by the local Arabs uh, for more Jews to come in because they were improving conditions. They created uh, types of hospitals and things which allowed uh, more infant um, survival, or they had they paid better wages than other countries, and particularly under the prior Turkish administration that ended in 1918. Mm -hmm. uh, but so there were what we call a Palestine today did not exist in 1948. Um, now, when you talk, so there was no occupation by these people. Uh, in fact, if you look at the the two-state solution that was proposed in 1947 by the UN. Uh, the majority of the land, the livable land, arable land, was going to the Arabs who lived in the land, and then the Jewish people were going to have uh, a, a small area, not even all of Jerusalem, but part of the land. They were given the Negev area, which is, was basically uninhabitable. Uh, you often see these maps that people put up of, of the the shrinking land of the mm -hmm. Palestinians. Well, it, it's it's a false picture because uh, the Palestinians didn't live in those lands either. They didn't own the after 1948. When you talk before 1948, they didn't, and after 48, they didn't because we talk about the West Bank. Jordan had that. You talk about the Golan Heights. Syria had that. You talk about uh, over on the, the coastal plain. Uh, that whole area was occupied by Egypt. So, you know, what was left was well, the area that Israel had and the Isra those Arabs who continued to live within what was now the state of Israel were no longer considered Palestinian Arabs and now they're be called Israeli Arabs. Today they just call themselves Palestinians, but uh, that's because Palestinianism became a national movement uh, with Yasser Arafat and some of these others to try to force away, uh, force the Jews out of the country because of the larger picture of the Arab world, particularly the Islamic world that wanted to unite and the state of Israel was in its way. Uh, when you talk about 
and they stole the land, mm -hmm. kept the people of Gaza. Uh, the facts are that Egypt had Gaza under their control uh, until 1967. Uh, from 67 uh, till 2005, uh, it was under Israeli control. And what did the Israelis do? They improved conditions. They built synagogues, yes, but they built hotels. Mm -hmm. uh, it was really like a thriving, uh, beginning to be a, a new oasis uh, right there on the coast. Uh, and, and Gazans, if you put that, lived there with them. These were the Arab population that was there. They were not mistreated. They, they did well. There were not problems. But then um, because Errol Sharon was the prime minister and was concerned over these negotiations of land for peace, that the Arabs in the negotiations were demanding the city of Jerusalem. And that was something they just could not compromise on. So he offered instead Gaza. So that was accepted. The Israelis withdrew from Gaza it went completely under the control mm -hmm. of the Arab or Palestinian leadership at the time, uh, which was Fatah, uh, Yasser Arafat's group, under a man named Mahmoud Abbas, who succeeded Yasser Arafat. And so uh, from that time until this time, it's been completely under their own independent control. Now, they didn't try to improve the infrastructure. They didn't try to do anything else. Uh, they left the people in poverty. And the result was that the Israelis, on a humanitarian basis, continued to give them electricity mm -hmm. and provide them with water, all of these things. Uh, and that was simply done because they needed it, all right, even though they had completely withdrawn. So Gaza was autonomous at this point. So mm -hmm. that uh, is impossible to say that Israel uh, prevented them from mm -hmm. developing their cities and lives. We know now, if you look at the evidence that's come from just the war, uh, you know, 500 miles of Terra networks. Uh, the whole time uh, they were building these things from Egypt on, uh, underground, completely into the city, putting them under hospitals, putting them under uh, uh, schools, putting them under other places where the civilian population was, hiding weapons within these structures. All of this is what we know. Mm -hmm. So, uh, how could Israel oppress a people that had independence? Uh, they were when they were autonomous. Mm -hmm. It's not the case. Uh, if that, you, know, you could say, well, they're oppressing them because of the greater occupation of the land. Again, what occupation? There was no war fought with the Palestinians. You can look at every war that Israel fought from forty-eight to fifty-six to sixty-seven to seventy-three. Not one of the UN declarations concerning uh, the. Uh, what is going to happen with the land or boundaries or things involve Palestinians. They're not mentioned in any of those legal documents. Uh, so the borders that were drawn up were drawn up with Jordan. Okay, so we talk about the West Bank. It's the West Bank of Jordan, not the West Bank of Israel. Mm -hmm. uh, and the same thing with the Gaza Strip, and the same thing with the Golan Heights, with the Syrians. Uh, so it's not been an occupation. As you know, any war that happened, someone took land and occupied it. So the land of Israel was occupied by Egyptians, occupied by Jordanians, or occupied by Syrians, if we think in the biblical sense of what is Judea and Samaria. Okay, well, very good. Well, let's go here to our next question, and this has to do with Hamas. Um, what is the true agenda of Hamas? Coexistence with Israel or eradication of Israel? Let me just 
cycle through a few slides here if I could do that. Um, here they are marching with annihilationist language. Uh, the sign says Palestine will be free from the river to the sea. Of course, the river would be the uh, uh, Jordan and the sea would be the Mediterranean, meaning they don't want a Jewish right. presence. And a lot of people all. who give these chants don't know what river they're talking yes. about. Yes. And really don't care. Yes. The idea is... Uh, we talk about genocidal language. This is it. Yeah. If the Israelis exist between those two points and you want to remove them from that uh, so that you can occupy that um, and make it free, of course, we first assume there is occupation oppression, right. which is not true. But to do this would then result in occupation oppression. Right. So you just have to choose which. But Hamas is, is a organization um, that has a charter. And in their charter, they clearly state that their charter is the elimination of the state of Israel. Okay, you can see yeah. this covenant they made up. It says... Uh, yeah, if we can put up uh, Hamas Covenant 1988. Right, so... <laughs> Israel will exist and will continue to exist until Islam will ab obliterate it just as it obliterated others before it and, and other such languages. So this is not a national movement, nor is it a political movement. It's a religious movement. Mm -hmm. Its basis is Islam. It carries out holy war or jihad. Uh, its idea is not to have coexistence, not to have a two-state solution, not to have any kind of reconciliation, but to eliminate Jews. Uh, we can talk a little later about why they think that way, but they have dehumanized Jews. They don't think them, of them as human beings. Uh, they accept statements in the Quran and the Hadith that basically will say that Jews have no right to exist as people, uh, that when they are attacked and, and uh, you're to slaughter them like you do animals, all these type of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, and here, uh, this, this is, is Article yeah, this 15. Is, yeah, Hamas Charter Article 15, if you can put that It says up. it clear. The Palestinian problem is a religious problem. It should be dealt with on that basis. Which means you can't sit here and have people in Qatar or have people uh, in the United States or Egyptians or others sit down in closed rooms and negotiate or have diplomats come up with solutions. Because for Hamas, none of that is acceptable. Uh, they don't, they do, the United States uh, is as much uh, a Satan as Israel is a Satan, mm -hmm. based on Iran. Iran's statement was that, that the little Satan and the great Satan. Uh, they are a proxy or a construct of Iran. They're sponsored and backed by Iran, as is Hezbollah, as is Islamic Jihad, as are the Houthis uh, down in Yemen. So all these different... Um, so-called resistance groups are actually uh, like uh, ISIS. Their intent is to follow the Quran in a literal way and apply its edicts, which means that Islam must rule the world and everyone must be Islamic or be a demi, a second-class citizen, under the dictates of Islam, under Sharia law. And this is this is their goal. Yeah, so the, this coexistence <clears throat> concept isn't, isn't accurate. Well, this logically leads to number five. And I think this is the part of it that has, since October 7th, surprised the Western mind. I mean, it surprised me. 
And it has to do with the brutality. Uh, we have um, examples of decapitations uh, of babies, of, of Jewish babies, yeah. Jewish babies put in ovens. So, my question is, how do you account for the brutality of Hamas towards Israel, as represented yeah. in the events of October seventh, twenty twenty-three? Just a couple of things here. Uh, if we can put up, Allah turned the Jews into apes and pigs. That's an actual statement from the Quran. Uh, here's another statement from the Quran about beheadings, uh, beheadings and desecrations. And here's a horrifying phone call. We've actually we actually covered this on our show, Good. but there in the left hand corner, it's um, a phone conversation between a son who's a Hamas terrorist and the father who was uh, released, and the son is all excited on this telephone call saying, Father, I killed 10 Jews with my own hand. See on WhatsApp. I filmed everything. Close quote. In the background, you can hear the um, Israelis pleading for their lives while, while telling his parents what he's done with pride. So yeah. this, this is the, the, level of, the level of butchery that's shocking. So how do you explain that? It also shows you the moral equivalency in that cartoon. Yes. Whereas on the one hand, they celebrate death and murder. On the other hand, they celebrate life and deliverance. So, okay, this is uh, the problem for people in the West. Um, we just do not imagine that anyone would stoop to these levels. And that's why there have been so many who claim this is all fabricated, that it, it can't be true, it isn't true. This is simply mm -hmm. uh, some type of propaganda from the Israeli side. Uh, no one would do this because we believe that everybody is freedom-loving, that everybody has compassion, that everybody really wants to get along. And if you just give people the chance, they will embrace that. Uh, that is an alien concept in the Middle East. It's just the opposite of the truth. People do not live under democracy. They do not want to live under democracy. They do not have a, a natural compassion, maybe for their own children, but maybe not. When you talk about the children serving a, a greater or higher end to the religious cause. Uh, and they certainly don't have a sense in which they need to get along because their their goal is that these people are oppressors or these people are the the kafir, the unbelievers. These are the people that need to be eliminated, either brought under Islam as a convert or destroyed. There's no two, there's only two choices: the world of Islam or the world of the sword. So this is the way they're brought up. But beyond that, uh, the normal person cannot go out and commit atrocities like this unless they are indoctrinated from a very early age. Mm. And we have uh, memory. This, this is an organization mm. that, that records, films, everything coming out of the Arab and Muslim world and has translations and uh, some explanation about it. You can go online. You can see everything that's said. Uh, when Nasrallah gives a speech up in Lebanon, you can see his actual words in the translation of it, not what you know you're reported mm -hmm. in bits and pieces. Um, so the facts are these: you have children from the earliest ages, I mean, from birth, uh, taught in books, taught in by in their homes by parents, taught uh, that the Jews were not 
human beings. They were turned into apes and pigs in the past. Now they're the descendants of those uh, things that Allah cursed and turned into apes and pigs. So genetically, they're not human beings. They may look like it, but they're not. And then um, on another level, you you hear about the Jews being cursed in, in various ways. And the punishment for them is to cut off their heads or cut off their hands and feet. Uh, that was a direct statement by, <clears throat> by Muhammad, supposedly from Allah. So this is the way they're treated. Uh, when, when Muhammad conquered a Jewish tribe, about 900 people, uh, called the Bini Israel, um, they, they lived next to, uh, in Mecca, next to his tribe, he conquered them, and he himself personally beheaded all of the men of the tribe and then took the women and raped them. Uh, and uh, this was the way he, he showed things were to be done. So this is why, you know, but from an early age, you also have training camps all throughout Gaza, for instance. Uh, UNWAR, the United Nations Relief Organization, Works Relief, um, allowed this to happen, allowed these education camps. So kids would go straight from school, straight to these education camps, mm. be taught how to use weapons, taught how to kill Jews. Uh, and so just as you cut the throat of an animal, uh, you cut the throat of a Jew, you know, behead them. Um, so all this is part of early indoctrination. So there's a desensitivity to this. Uh, you don't think of them as human beings. On the other hand, there's the, there is the Islamic positive side that you're in holy war. There's reward for being a jihadist. You, you are doing these things for Allah. Uh, your whole family rejoices. Your family will be rewarded. Um, uh, wow. if, if you die in this, you go to paradise and get virgins. Uh, you know, it's, it's a wonderful life. So everything you're doing is the right thing. And your parents often say, I wish I had 10 sons to give as martyrs, you know. Wow. So, so because of all of this, uh, these kids could go in, they could commit these horrible acts, but they're based on their religious text in, mm -hmm. the, in the Quran and other places. And then they would turn around and brag about this because that only gives honor uh, to their community. Mm -hmm. Now we might say, this is terrible. But do you realize the this has all been published now. It's all been out there. And not only do you have solidarity in Gaza, for the most part, with Hamas, but you have it around the world. You have it, for instance, Fatah, who was the ruling uh, leadership in Gaza uh, when the Israelis withdrew, were overtaken by Hamas. There was a a democratic so-called election, Hamas won. They, came, they started taking the leaders of Fatah and throwing them off of buildings, and they fled to Ramallah. And so they have been enemies of each other uh, up to this point. But when you talk about what Fatah says, they embrace and support and endorse what happened on October 7th. All of the atrocities mm. are there. Wow. And not only them, throughout the, the Muslim world, you haven't seen anyone denounce this uh, these types of acts. Yeah. So, yes, it's hard to understand, but it happened, and that's the depth of human depravity. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like a religious 
texts allowing depravity to do what it already wants to do. Uh, that might be one way of saying it. Yeah, I think it's important, Annie, when we talk about this, talk about the moral equivalence and other things too. All of us are fundamentalist in one sense. If we mm -hmm. take the fundamental uh, doctrines of our faith. So I'm a fundamentalist. I believe the Bible is true and I follow it word for word. They are Muslims and they are fundamentalists because they follow the Quran. Mm -hmm. and but the, the world view is totally opposite. Mm -hmm. And Hamas will say, we love death like you love life. Wow. You know, and we talk about, don't you care about your children being, you know, caught up in this? Not at all. Our children serve the greater end. And, they, and when you kill our children, it just lets the world see how bad you are. Wow. This type of thing. All right. Well, let's go here to number six. Um, and we've already alluded to this. Um, is it possible to draw moral equivalence between Hamas's brutal attack on Israel, October the 7th, 2023, and the Israeli occupation? Let, let me set this up just a little bit. The reason I'm asking this is our former president, uh, Barack Obama, came out and gave a statement. And he said something to the effect of, uh, yes, what Hamas did was wrong, but the... But <laughs> The occupation is unbearable. And so you get this, if you hear that enough in the news, you get the idea that, well, you know, Hamas was wrong, but, you know, Israel kind of brought it on themselves. And, you know, you, you sit over here, Billy, and be good. And you sit over here, Johnny, and be good. And, and there's like equal culpability on both sides. And yet, yet that's not true. Israel, uh, as, as you're going to explain to us, I think, fights in a way that no other country fights. Uh, if we can put up the Israeli military dropping of the leaflets, um, here's something from your slides. It says, Israeli military drops thousands of leaflets over Gaza, telling civilians to evacuate. Um, so obviously Israel is doing things morally that the other side is not doing. So help us work through this. I mean, more than that, they provided argument. a corridor for escape for those who wanted to. Mm -hmm. uh, at the same time, you had... You had clear statements by the leadership of Hamas, do not leave, stay where you are. They, they knew the buildings would be bombed. They knew Israel would attack these places. Israel said, leave. Hamas said, stay. Mm. Now, that shows you one thing. We often have the statement made that one man's free, uh, terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. Yeah. So they're all fighting for freedom. And they, you call them terrorists, but they're, they're simply fighting for freedom. No, they're not. They're not fighting for freedom because this is a concept unknown to them. They don't want freedom. They want unabridged Sharia law. There's no, there's no free thought, uh, no freedom in the sense that we have in our constitution. Uh, what they are fighting for is Islam, and have and so they they don't really care what happens to their people as long as they can affect the rest of the people. Mm -hmm. Israel says, look, everybody matters. Everybody, when, when we have someone injured in war, we treat them in our hospitals, whether they're Israelis or whether they're Arabs. doesn't really matter. We treat them all the same. Uh, we go in and try to help people. One of the problems, we had Israelis killed already in this war because they had children up there mm -hmm. and they had women 
uh, sitting there and they went to help them and the women pulled out guns and mm -hmm. shot them wow. and the kids were sitting on, you know, bombs. I mean, uh, this is all the type, this is the way they approach things. So you, you can't have moral equivalency if you don't have morals in that sense. <laughs> right. All right. There's nothing to work from. Yeah. Great. All right. Now let's get, um, this has already been alluded to. Let me cycle through a few of your slides, but here's the question. Let me say a couple things first. Why question, why is the tension in the Middle East um, involving Israel really a religious issue? And here's a quote from Ibn Warwick, if I'm pronouncing that right, former, uh, why I'm not a Muslim, former Muslim. He says, um, Islamic, well, there, there may be moderate Muslims, but Islam itself is not moderate. There is no difference between Islam and Islamic fundamentalism. At most, there is a difference of de decree, but not kind. Uh, here's another slide that you use showing that these attacks are symbolic because they take place on specific times of the calendar, germane to uh, uh, Islam's history. Um, here's another slide where Hamas co-founder says Jewish prayers, this is all religious language, Jewish prayers are a blatant attack on the religious and Islamic status of the city and the mosque. And here is Erdogan, the current prime minister of Turkey, saying each day that Jerusalem is under occupation is an insult to us. In other words, what all these slides communicate is you can't get to the, the root of this tension unless you understand the religious conflict. Yeah, you may find a slide in there somewhere about the, the deluge. That's what uh, Hamas called the attack from October 7 and gave it a reason. Mm -hmm. That is the liberation of Jerusalem. So it's all religious. In other words, they, they could care less about the oppression of you know, their population they're more concerned about the liberation of Jerusalem 50 miles away uh, because the Islamic goal is that once any place has come under the control of Islam, it must remain so in perpetuity. Mm -hmm. And now Jerusalem is under control of Israelis, even though Israelis, in an act of clemency, gave all of the Temple Mount, which was the ancient part of Jerusalem, with the site of their own temple okay, to which they pray, uh, they gave that to the control of the Muslims. And it's been a continual problem ever since. But they did that uh, to their own hurt because they were concerned about the international attitude. They were concerned about religious equality or at least giving people in their midst some sense of freedom and democracy. They respect that. Mm -hmm. It's not so on the other side. So, but it's, 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 their own statements say this is a religious war. Uh, it's nothing else. You look at this not just on Hamas, uh, and they call the whole conflict a religious one, but look, as we said, Turkey, mm -hmm. you can see this in other uh, countries too, mm -hmm. where they see Jerusalem and other places that have the religious focus uh, as, as what has to be liberated. Uh, you had Saddam Hussein saying that when he was in Iraq. Mm -hmm. You've seen the Iranians say this. You even had... Uh, in 9-11, in if you remember that, um, when we had that attack, the statement was made by Osama bin Laden then mm -hmm. that 
this is for the liberation of the Palestinians or something like something under Islam. Had had nothing to do with the United States. <laughs> it had to do with, with other religious causes over yeah. here. So that's a that's a mindset that's. In other words, this is not. Uh, this is not the art of the deal. This is not a hotel no. real estate deal. I think a lot of our leadership in our country kind of goes over there and thinks they can just kind of work it out like they would work out a hotel, building a hotel or something. But this is a deep-seated uh, religious conflict, and you can't even understand it until you understand these two competing well, if you religious worldviews. Well, if you views. haven't lived in the Middle East and haven't lived in an Islamic context, you really can't. Yeah. Uh, just like people who haven't lived in an Oriental context don't understand, you know, the Chinese or Japanese, or someone's idea of saving face mm -hmm. is more important than anything that could happen to their family. Mm -hmm. okay? You have throughout the Muslim world, uh, no matter what country it is, if, if there is a violation, uh, for instance, a member of your family, a daughter, mm -hmm. moves to the United States, goes to an American university, uh, takes off her head covering, puts on makeup, puts on jeans. She's worthy of death, wow. and, and they will send members of their own family over to execute her. Mm -hmm. This is done across across the board. When you have people talking about uh, gay rights or trans rights or something like this, and linking it to the liberation of Palestine, in other words, one one uh, one liberation is good for another. Mm -hmm. Not so throughout the Muslim world. If you are something other than simply what the Quran dictates, man and woman and marriage and all, you were executed. Mm -hmm. You were hung publicly, thrown off of bridges. I mean, this is this goes on today. Mm -hmm. You do not have this in these countries. No. So uh, our country can't imagine that because it's become so woke and progressive and all that it does, uh, it, it can't understand that anyone else cannot think that way. All right, let's, let's try to squeeze one more yeah. in here. Number eight, and this is something, uh, Dr. Price, that's sort of been, what's the expression, stuck in my craw for, <laughs> for a while. I'm hearing this um, from people that I generally agree with on, on most things, and they're, they're floating this idea that somehow Netanyahu did this intentionally. They talk about the power of the Israeli defenses, and there's no way this could have happened unless this was an inside job. You have We have 9-11 people that argue the same thing relative to our own country. But the question is, did, did Netanyahu issue a stand-down order in the events surrounding October 7, 2023, in order to create a crisis, to intentionally create a crisis, to consolidate power over Gaza. Here's uh, Charlie Kirk, a pretty good conservative guy on most things, but the Washington Times picks him up as saying, defaming Israel, Charlie Kirk floats theory, Netanyahu let Hamas slaughter Jews to consolidate power. And a lot of these guys just want to they just want to, you know, float the theory. Uh, after all, you know, Israel had 19 northern kings and they were all evil and she had 20 southern kings and only eight of them were good. And and so we, you know, they, they give you this impression that somehow Netanyahu is in on it and um, he's part of the Illuminati and their their conspiracy theories go wild. The reason it bothers me is there's already an acrimonious 
atmosphere towards Israel. And I think this kind of thing contributes to it. But can you shed light on this kind of thing? Well, the reason this has currency is because, uh, first off, people have looked at the situation before October 7th, saw that Netanyahu uh, took a stance on judicial reform that others did not. The country was being divided. There were people having massive protests about this. Um, there, we talk about a unity government, but there was anything but that. Uh, so it was the nation was in a serious possibility of a civil war. I mean, this was was there. So people see that and say, ah, you know, must have tried to do something to to get the pressure off of him. Uh, certainly, this has whole event has reunified the nation. There's a solidarity. There is a, a renewed morale. You see people singing at the Western Wall. You know, Am Israel High, the people of Israel live. You see, um, I mean, all of this has come about. So they say, this makes sense to me. On the other hand, they say, look, Israelis uh, are the most sophisticated we know. With, with their equipment, they spent billions on the security fence. They had all of this uh, they were warned ahead of time. Uh, they knew that this was the anniversary of the Yom Kippur War, where mm -hmm. the same thing happened, a surprise attack, mm -hmm. um, many other types of things. Uh, so there's just no way that this could have happened by chance. You know, they just, they, they, they got caught off guard. Mm -hmm. that's, not, that's not Israel. They don't get caught off guard. So, so naturally, with that kind of thinking, you're looking for some type of a conspiratorial view, especially when you have a larger view that we have Jews involved with elitist globalist organizations that they are trying to do nefarious things. Uh, and you might say, you know, this, this must go across the board. Now, on the other hand, if you have lived in Israel like I have, you know the Israeli people, you know the history related to the Holocaust. You know that someone like Netanyahu, his father was a grand historian, um, a Bible believer, not necessarily a believer in Christ, but right. a Bible believer. Right. He wrote a major book on the Inquisition, which detailed the whole history of Jewish persecution under other people and their response to it. Uh, Netanyahu's own family came out of the Holocaust. Mm. His his son, I mean son, his bro his brother um, had was killed in the raid on Entebbe by Palestinians. Okay, uh, at the same time, he is a Bible believer in the sense that he has um, weekly Bible uh, studies, Talmud studies. That's done. His one of his uh, younger sons uh, won the award for the whole country in memorizing. Wow. Biblical verses and things right. like this. Um, he's always held a conservative, high moral position. And uh, so to take, to somehow say that all of that is jettisoned and he is now behind the people that want to destroy the country he's been trying throughout his life to keep as a refuge for Jewish people to defend against this type of uh, thing uh, is very hard to believe. I, the whole Jewish mindset, the, the, Israel exists to prevent this, uh, to be a refuge for people, to safeguard that. But then you have to realize that this happened 
at a time. It, it, this whole thing had been planned and staged for over a year. You had the Chinese, you had uh, certainly Iran and others all working with surveillance, taking down through cyber terrorism, uh, diffusing the fence, allowing people to go through at different places that invade the country. Uh, you had all of this working. Uh, you had, at the same time, the end of the high holidays, which is like our Christmas, Thanksgiving, Easter, everything rolled into one with the whole country observing it. Okay, Everything is shut down, everything is closed, and it also happened to be a, a Sabbath. The last day of this religious uh, month, and then a Sabbath day as well. So military people are not mobilized. They're, they're out with their families. They're doing things. Uh, if there was, this is what someone like um, Golda Meir faced. Mm -hmm. She heard ahead of time there could be an uh, attack. She just said, they talk about this all the time. This is the things they threaten constantly. This is, this is just political posturing, or this is simply their religious talk. You know, we're going to throw you into the sea. We're going to do this. Mm -hmm. We're going to do that. And, um, and these dates are symbolic, yes, but there was no reason on, just on that basis to bring all of our, our guys home, mobilize the whole army, do all these things. Uh, you know, it's the holiest time of the year. Yeah. Uh, she was wrong. And she, you know, lost her position because of that as well. Uh, could this be the same thing so happening here? Negligence rather than conspiratorial. Could be. Yeah. I mean, we don't know. The okay. fact is that Israel denies what these others are saying, but it says that they'll do a full investigation when the time is right. Okay. They're fighting a war right now. Okay. Uh, the truth will come out to some degree. Yeah. We don't know the truth about so many events For sure. in our own country. Sure. So uh, let's not jump to conclusions, jump to conclusions yeah. and vilify Israel on the basis of this. Yeah, good. Well, the reason, folks, that we're going through this material is these are the things people are talking about. The Middle East uh, plays a major role in God's end-time program. Christians uh, particularly have a lot of interest and concern about these things. And so... We think it's um, incumbent upon the Church of Jesus Christ not to shed more heat into these kinds of things, but to shed more light and more information uh, from reputable sources like Dr. Price helps us to do that, to be able to sort fact from fiction. And so uh, we're going to come back, Lord willing, in part two and try to answer our remaining questions uh, related to how does this affect the West? Because we're we have a tendency to think that's just stuff in the Middle East doesn't affect the United States at all. Well, think again. And beyond that, we're going to talk about is there any hope in the midst of these things as we analyze them prophetically? So, thank you, Dr. Price, for joining us in part one, and we're looking forward to part two. God bless you. Thank you for watching.